0: Why don't we uh, open our Bibles to the book of the Revelation? If you're with us and you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. Uh, you can grab it. The page number is in the bulletin. We're in the very last book of the Bible, so it's pretty easy. Um, right before all the indices and maps and things, um, we're in the book of the Revelation. And we have been looking at the undeniably weird end of the Bible. Uh, the Revelation is a book that, that um, is divisive. Um, there are always 87 opinions about everything, and so every message that I've been bringing from this book, I've begun with a disclaimer, and that is that I'm not going to make um, all kinds of uh, stretching, interpretational ideas and concepts and, and equate all of the things that John sees with uh, stuff that's happening in the Middle East today or not happening. or uh, there, There's just so much speculation that goes on about this book. Uh, If you want to deal with speculation and and inventive ideas and concepts, I can recommend a dozen books for you. But the fact of the matter is so much of what is going on in the Revelation uh, ties to this idea that exists in the Hebrew mind in the ancient world that what is happening now has happened before and will happen again until dot, 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 okay? Um, until the coming of the Messianic Age, the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the end of the world, the day of the Lord. There's 87 million terms that are used to refer to this, this moment at the end of time. But in the journey to that moment, we always have to be careful about speculating when that moment will be. Um, when I was a kid, there were 88 reasons. There was a book published called 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Coming and Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And when that book failed, there were 89 reasons that Jesus was coming back in 1989. And Jack's shaking his head because he remembers that, per, that period of time. Uh, everybody was forecasting the end of the world. Uh, it was going to be 88, it was going to be 85, then it was going to be 88, then it was going to be 89, then it was 91, then it was 93, then it was 2001. Of course, there was 2000, which was going to be the end of all things because of the Y2K bug. Um, the Russian, the Russian missile, missile control computers were all going to launch um, and we were all going to get obliterated, and that didn't work out for us. Um, and then, uh, first of all, the Russian missiles—99% of them couldn't have launched anyway, uh, but because uh, they were designed by Russian engineers working for a totalitarian dictatorship. But anyway, um, then there was 2001, then there was 2010, then there was 2012. And I'm sure somebody is forecasting the end of the world is coming in 2017 and 2020 and 2030 and 2035. This is nothing new. Everybody wants to look at this book and find signs of the times. And I think that's a mistake. I genuinely think that's a mistake. What we are seeing is that what is happening now for those people in the first century in western what is today Turkey um, the, the the church is there. What was happening for them had happened to before and it would happen again until. Now, the chapter we're about to get into is the beginning of the until part. Uh, it is the beginning of the until part. It is the beginning of the end, as it were. And so let's go ahead and read a portion of the text and then we're going to then we're going to pray and then we'll get into it. Um, and these sermons are archived, so if you if you missed it and you want to kind of go back and catch up week one, week two, um, and kind of get an idea of that, uh, you can always go on the website. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can do all those social media things. You can go on Facebook, and the videos are there and all that. What is it that uh, uh, Bill Belichick called it? Uh, my face. Um, you know, you can you can go you can go wherever you want <laughs> wherever you want to go. Uh, All right. So anyway, um, we have just come through uh, a portion of Scripture. We talked about it last week um, that that really is describing the idea of God's mercy, that that Christ is not willing that any should perish. All right. So so those who would be saved, he is giving every opportunity for them to know him, to be drawn to him, to be transformed, to be translated. The Bible has lots of different words um, for coming to Christ. And so he is not going to bring down his wrath, which is simply the release of his hand um, and allowing the natural destructive force of a sinful world to to wreak havoc um, until all have been sealed. And that that appears in chapter 7. He talks about the sealing of a great multitude, that those who come to to know him and they sing this song. Um, And there's this great moment of worship uh, as those who are saved uh, cry out in thanks to God And it begins in chapter 7 verse 15 They are before the Lord It talks about them They shall hunger no more The Lamb in the midst of the throne Will be their shepherd There's all these statements about them And then So there's this great song That takes place And Revelation is full of songs There's lots and lots of songs um, There's this great song That is sung in heaven And then in chapter 8 and verse 1 Then the lam- when the Lamb And that's Jesus Opened the seventh seal There was silence in heaven For about half an hour right, so all this singing and all these songs and everything, and then he finally cracks the last seal of this document that he's taken from God, the, the, the will and testament, the title deed of all earth, the judgment of all earth. He cracks the seventh seal, and when he does, everyone is hushed. Everyone is quiet because it's finally happened. What is happening has happened before and will happen again until the final seal is broken until begins then i saw verse 2 the seven angels who stand before god and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer that's a Kind of a a device filled with ashes and incense that they swing back and forth. You ever been to a a Greek Orthodox church service? You've seen this. They they um, they do this. It was given incense to offer with the prayers of all saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, he filled it with fire from the altar, and Threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, and rumblings, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel, blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed and the angel the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water excuse me and the name of the star is wormwood or the Greek word is absinthe. A third of the waters become wormwood and many people died from the water because it had become bitter. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked and behold an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the bottom of the shaft of the bottomless pit, the abyss. That's the Greek word abyss. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And there from the shaft rose smoke like smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days people will seek death but will not find it. And they will long to die but death will flee from them. In appearance the locusts were like horses prepared for battle and their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. I've heard people try to turn this into Tanks. I don't know how that works um, because tanks don't look like horses on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tail. And they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe was past. Behold, two woes are to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates of color of fire and of sapphire and sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. But these three plagued a third of mankind. By these three plagues... A third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power of the horses in their mouth and in their tail. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Now listen to verse 21, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed of these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Join me in prayer. Father, again we come to your word. And it is not always pleasant to hear and to read. Lord, give us wisdom from your Holy Spirit to look to these written words and see your living word, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. May your spirit give us understanding. And may understanding drive our passion, to serve and love, to honor you in our lives. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our raised, our risen, and reigning Lord. We pray in his name, amen. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of what we just read, because it. It, in my opinion is it is exactly what he says that it is. There's is no symbolism involved in this. Um, when he says that a star fell from, sca- from heaven and it was called absinthe or wormwood, I just go ahead and assume that it is something falling from heaven. There's not symbolism here. What's going on here? This is the beginning of the end. Uh, these seven trumpets... The trumpet was meant to signal the coming of the king and the king is coming. And the trumpet sound alongside of what um, what is can only be described as a celestial ash fall. Um, if you've ever taken something that was on fire and thrown it to the ground, what happens? All right, as you throw it, all right, and as it's falling, sparks fly off, um, and then the thing hits and it explodes. All right, um, generally, if it's if it's ashen and it's burning, it hits the ground, there's a poof, and then it, um, if it's a, I'm talking about real fire, by the way, not like flashlights. Okay, I know a lot of us, a lot of us, real fire is kind of a foreign thing. You know, we're like those guys from the 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 cavemen from the Geico commercial. All right. We, we we real fire is kind of something that's kind of foreign to modern Americans. But um, you take something that's on fire and you throw it through the air and, and the burning bits of it will fly off of it. And these these seven judgments, these seven trumpet judgments are really, I think, the depiction is that the angel takes this censer filled with the, with the prayers of the saints, and this is finally the time for justice. And he whips it, and he hurls it to the ground. And as it is flying to the ground, ash flies out of it, and the ash that flies out of it is these celestial judgment events. Uh, the first is hail and fire. Right, this idea of all this falling, which, which uh, some, sometimes it's very confusing how they describe, uh, how ancients describe um, an ash fall from a vo- volcano. Believe it or not, there are references to it being hail. And so whether this is actually like pieces of ice um, or it is simply an ash fall accompanied with fire. Have you ever seen a volcano explode? It's not all flame. There's, there's those of you that lived in the Pacific Northwest, Dave Nichols. All right, you remember, you remember when Mount Saint, uh, Ma- Mount Saint Helen erupted? There was an ash fall. There's fire and ash falling from the sky, and it is, it's nasty. Um, you don't want to breathe it. Uh, you don't want to be in it. Um, it's scorching and hot. And th- this is so. This idea of this, this fall of hail and fire and as it as it falls it it, it is um, it's destroying things right it burns up a third of the trees and the green grass right and then the second thing that falls all right the second bit of celestial ash as it's as it's coming down is this great mountain this this chunk of burning smoldering rock all right um and so you get this this image this idea now it's interesting because paul uh, john when he writes this he's on the island of patmos and the island of patmos is an is a volcanic island although it, it was extinct at the time and volcanoes had been uh un- unexpectedly common in the last half of the 1st century A.D. Um, uh, Pompeii, the city of Pompeii was destroyed by a volcano. Um, volcanoes had occurred in numerous places in the Mediterranean. Islands were rising and sinking. This was something that, this is imagery that they were familiar with. So this great mountain falls, right? And when it hits uh, the water burning, and it hits the sea, and it kills a third of the, the fish in the sea. And anybody that's been, you've read any, done any reading on a volcanic explosion, you know that this is exactly what happens. Um, a third angel his his star he he his is the star Ab- uh, absinthe um absinthe is kind of this um today it's like this trendy liqueur um, that you drink and go insane um so explains a lot um but but uh, absinthe is actually derived from the plant that we we call wormwood now um and it crea- it's got a very very bitter taste so why he calls it Absinthe, I'm not exactly sure. I figure that that's the name he heard, and so he used it. Um, the, you know, the, somebody said, oh, that falling star, it's called Absinthe, because it's not like he invented the name. What shall I call that? I shall call it Absinthe. All right, um, so, so there's something that's going on, but this hits the fresh water, and the fresh water turns bitter. This is, these are, this is the, 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 s- the heavens turning against the earth. All of these things fall from the heavens, right? None of these things happen. Uh, we, we talked about the, a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the seven seals as they start to open. We've got famine and war and death and conquest. These are all things that happen on the earth. These are all things that happen here. This is stuff coming from heaven. Um, this, is, this is, like I've, I've called it before, the celestial ash fall. I don't know exactly what the symbolism of the censer being thrown down is. There's nothing in the Old Testament that talks about this. And it's very, very possible that what John sees, because John, um, the visions are often a blending of Greek and Hebrew thought. We, I've talked about that before. It's possible that this was some kind of symbol in the ritual of the Greeks that lived in this area um, that they would do this with the censor they would take it smash it to, to represent judgment We really don't know why th- why he sees it this way other than this is what he actually saw I um, we know that God sometimes chooses um, The context the culture of, of a person to explain things um, But we don't know why he does this, but we do see the consequences of it And uh, so absent hits and that wrecks things and then the fourth angel the sun, you know The fourth trumpet the sun is blacked out which you would expect If you've got a a celestial volcanic event, you you would expect that the sky would be blanked out. But then the fifth one is a star, um, something from heaven that falls and breaks through the earth to the abyss, the bottomless pit. Um, I don't know how to interpret this whole bit. I really don't. I've had people take this and say, well, see, this is proof that hell is at the center of the earth. First of all, standing rule. Never, ever make an interpretation of the Bible based on, I think this. All right, This seems like a good explanation. I, I remember being a kid, being in a, in a camp meeting, and this stump-sucking preacher. Um, I've used that term before, right? Does anybody not know what a stump-sucker is? All right, stump sucking is when a preacher goes <laughs> and he, he acts like he's going to have an aneurysm while he's preaching. All right, um, and these is a very, this is a very common style of preaching in the South, um, and, and, they, they will, <laughs> and they will they will get all of themselves worked up, and the stump sucking revival preacher, he starts talking about how you if you get close enough to heaven. First of all, he starts telling a an apocryphal and untrue story about the russians digging a hole down in russia and in siberia and they got so far down that they heard the screaming humans screaming all right um and so this was proof that hell is at the center of the earth hogwash all right i want to know what microphone they sent down three and a half miles into this this hole in order to hear this voice and how they got it back but that's beside the point um so he's preaching, and he, at one point, he gets down on the ground. I was maybe like seven or eight. Um, and he gets down on the ground and puts his, his, his hand against his ear and puts it against it. Can you hear him screaming? Can you hear him screaming? You know me. I leaned over to my father and said, no, because he won't shut up. hey, if people were screaming through the earth, I wanted to hear it, and this guy kept talking. <laughs> Needless to say, I got cuffed on the back of the head for that one. <laughs> Shut up and listen, boy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, three hours into a camp meeting, seven, eight-year-olds get distracted. Um, but, but this was this kind of this idea. I don't know how to interpret this. I don't know how to take it, other than than the sense that the abyss... All right, this, this bottomless pit of some kind, it, it, it fits in their, their thinking, the, the mind of the, the hearer, this idea that this is the abode of the demonic. That they are trapped. That they are held back. And God removes the bounds. He rele- releases, he opens the door to allow all that is evil to be released. Um, he names the king of these creatures. He calls him Abaddon. Uh, the The Hebrew word Abaddon is the destroyer. Uh, this is, um, it's one of those words in Hebrew, it has the same feeling um, as, as certain names of bad guys. You know how, how, Certain bad guys just have evil-sounding names. Like if you're reading Superman, you never read the name Lex Luthor and think he sounds like a good guy. There's something about that name, Lex Luthor, that sounds evil. All right, uh, Voldemort. Uh, that just sounds evil. Now it sounds evil, by the way, because it's derived from the Latin for "return from the dead." All right, um, that's what Voldemort means. Uh, it's it's a it's a portmanteau from from Latin. Um, Everything that Rawlings wrote, by the way, is funny plays on words. Um, so, and I can tell you more about that because I'm a nerd. Um, but <laughs> this whole idea that he goes into this beast and releases demons—everybody wants to get a big deal about what the demons look like and what they do. I don't think that that's significant. What's significant is he sees the releasing of demonic power upon the earth. Now. If we take this as what it is, which is a future event, then you've got to realize that the demonic activity on earth in Jesus' time and our time is bounded. It is minimal. It is very limited compared to the true capacity of the demonic world. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could fight one demon Nonetheless, a whole pit of them that are angry because they've been trapped for a long time. Now, there's lots of interpretations about how to take this and all of those things. And all I'm going to tell you is that what seems to be depicted here is that God sends the key to release. Now, the rule of twos, there's another time that someone is released um, from a deep pit in the book of the Revelation. And that is the release of, uh, the, release of the great deceiver, the great dragon, satan the devil um and so i think that those these two pair up i think that this is the end this is the last battle uh, of all of creation that is breaking loose here um can i would i take a bullet for that argument look i gotta be honest with you i'm not sure i'd take a bullet for anything i say about the book of the revelation except that jesus is coming the rest of it's hazy uh, there there is a lot that's going on here and anybody who tells you that they are absolutely certain about every portion of the revelation Do not trust that person um, Because there is no way they got the key when the rest of us are so confused um, Well, they, he's figured it all out and then they pull out these charts whenever somebody's figured out the book of revelation They've got a book full of charts That calculate things and dates and draw and diagrams and all this and see this is a simple key for twenty nine ninety five. You too. Something is going on here. All right. When the sixth trumpet sings, uh, plays his sh- when the sing- sixth angel p- plays his trumpet, then these four angels that are these four uh, in angels which are bound in the river Euphrates, which sa- it seems to have some kind of reference to Babylon, um, because Babylon that it's talking about Babylonia, the river Euphrates and um, and it seems to be this connection and i i i've mentioned before that the book of the revelation the best way to understand it is that the the city of god the new jerusalem is erupting from the ashes of fallen babylon which is symbolized in rome if you think about babylon and rome together the roman empire it seems to make a lot of sense out of the book and so it seems like these these there's these armies that are going to be released now my dad has My my father, who I love dearly and and learned a ton from, he believes that the river Euphrates is going to be dried up and become a highway for the armies of the east to to invade Israel. Now, if you take a minute and study a map, you will find that the Euphrates River goes nowhere near Israel. Um, In fact, it runs northwest out of Kuwait, um, and hence, I'm thinking that's not the ideal interpretation here. Um, besides, if you've got an army of how does how does he describe it? The number that he get, I'm not going to. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. And the only reason he knows, he says, I heard the number, right? He like he basically was somebody said this because I wasn't counting. I don't think they need a highway. All right. Now what is this? Uh, if you want my opinion, and you can take it or leave it. This is the armies of men marching out to try to defeat God. This happens at the end of the book of the Revelation. An army led by the deceiver, led by Satan, the great dragon. um, An army composed of demonic forces and human forces at the end of time will attempt to fight God. And he will destroy them in an instant. He judges them without even an effort. Why? Why? Is all of this in here? Because I've said how many times? This is an opinion, I think, I'm not sure. We can still get what what they were getting at, what what the visions are all about by simply looking at the last couple of verses here. It doesn't matter how you interpret this bunch of verses, but you need to get to the last couple of verses. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols. What? Tom, can you put up that other graphic? All creation fails, right? Hell is unleashed, but no one will bend. Hell should be in quotation marks, but that font didn't have quotation marks, so it's my fault. It's not literally hell on earth, but it's what we would describe as hell on earth. I mean, we've got we've got horses with tails like snakes and we've got creatures, scorpions, locusts and Abaddon coming out of the abyss and mountains falling from the sky and a third of the sun being blacked out. The bonds of creation are released. All creation is failing around what is left of mankind. No one will bend. As God unleashes, breaks apart, lets creation tear itself apart. and creation includes the the physical and the supernatural, the demonic, they're part of creation. As creation tears itself apart, there are those who are sealed, and there are various theories about whether they're here on earth or they're in heaven or whatever. I'm not going to get into all that. There are those who are sealed, and they're already in Christ. So to live or to die doesn't matter. But for everybody else, as literally the earth goes to hell, they don't bend. All of creation is falling apart. In fact, if I'm right, and this is the sixth trumpet ties into what's called the Battle of Armageddon, uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog, there's all these different terms for it. But if it is that final battle, not only do they not bend, they willfully oppose and rebel against God. See, judgment... Judgment is not about making, uh, deciding who is innocent and guilty. And we need to understand this about judgment. Judgment is not about deciding who is innocent or guilty. Judgment is about the guilty getting what they deserve. That's why we, in our legal system, decide whether we, we make a decision on whether somebody is innocent or not. I'm in the middle of uh, watching one of my all-time favorite TV shows, Boston Legal, which, by the way, if you want an, a concise commentary on our election season, you should watch the 2007-2008 season of this show. Um, because at one point, one of the judges, I posted this on my Facebook page, one of the judges says, uh, judgment for the plaintiff, they are talking about the DNC and how the Democratic National Convention, the, can't, the, the delegates don't have to vote for the person that their district voted for, that thing. And the judge bangs the gavel, he says, judgment for the plaintiff, we all lose. <laughs> and this is, you know, it's really, really good. But they, one of the big problems with that, that whole show is that the whole premise of the show is skipping justice. It's the defense attorneys, and their whole thing is they, can, they defend guilty people. And they figure out loopholes to get people out of judgment. Well, in God's judgment, there are no loopholes. Because all who are in Christ have been sealed. And those who are not in Christ, they're getting judgment, and even in judgment they won't bend. And let me tell you something. And I know this sounds mean and this sounds harsh. But if someone doesn't come to Christ in good circumstances, the odds are against them coming to Christ in bad circumstances. Because not coming to Christ, not at least exploring, now I am fully aware folks, I know not everybody here is a Christian and I do not mean to offend you, but if you're here in a church service and you're not a believer, I hope that's because you're exploring this. You're kind of curious and what I believe and what I believe the scripture says is the reason that you're curious is that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your soul and spirit. He is showing you what, what grace and love and peace and truth look like. And hopefully our congregation is a part of that. But folks, we need to realize there are some folks that are so dead set against God that the very decay and destruction of the universe would not change their minds. You know, Jesus told a parable or a story about a, a poor man Named Lazarus and a rich man And, and when they die uh, Lazarus is uh, is being cradled By Abraham The, the New Testament kind of The uh, King James Bible gave us kind of this weird Image of him being in Abraham's bosom So as a kid I had this idea Of like Lazarus having a meal Inside of Abraham's stomach that Really odd, um, but uh, I was a very imaginative and very literal child. Um, but there's this image of this Lazarus, this poor man. He's he's rested in Abraham's uh, the crook of Abraham's arm, and his his head is turned up, and he's looking up at Abraham as Abraham cares for him. And there's this rich man being tortured in sh- in in flames, and he's trying to ask uh, Abraham to to send uh, a drink of water over, and, and Abraham says I can't do it. There's a a great uh, gulf fixed between us. And again, vivid imagination. I had this image of them playing golf, G O L F, um, but it's it's G U L F. And uh, and he says I can't come over. And he says, well, could you send Lazarus back from the dead? To tell my brothers, because if somebody came back from the dead, you know, maybe they would believe. And Abraham says, look, if they don't believe the living, why on earth would they believe the dead? And the fact of the matter is that the the Christian faith is a faith. It takes faith to believe it. It takes a wild step. I believe that it takes the Holy Spirit of God working inside of you to make you something that you were not before. And that I believe that, that God is acting sovereignly in grace to transform those um, of us h- who hear His call to be more and more like Christ. I believe it's a supernatural thing. But I also believe that there are some that no matter how much God calls and no matter how loud or His voice is, they will choose their own idols and ignorance and folly. And God's judgment here, the all of the, the, the cosmic ash fall, is still trying to send a message that if you will come, He will receive. If you will believe, He will do. And they will not. I believe that this passage is one of the great heartbreaks of God. That despite all that has come before, the prophets and the gospel and the apostles and the church and then everything that has happened in the first couple of chapters of the Revelation, things that, that are happening, that have happened, that will happen again, all these things that are meant to, to, to point us to God and now this cosmic judgment, this cosmic ashfall is all about calling man. I believe that God will give us, individually and as a race, uh, humanity, the human race, He will give us every possible opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior and come to faith. I believe that, that God pulls out all the stops but I also believe there are some that just will not hear. Now, I'm going to make a very important statement here. It is not my job to decide who is who. Oh, well, they won't listen. I'm just going to go find somebody else. When I was being trained as a pastor, I was told the ideal places to target people What you really want to do when you get out there and you start a church, you want to make sure you go through, and I am not kidding when I say this. I was told this in a pastoral theology class and undergraduate. You move to a town, the first thing you want to do is go through the obituaries and find people who who have lost a loved one because they will be most receptive to your message. I was encouraged to find out where the single mothers who were struggling with, their ch- with raising children, who they were in our neighborhood, and to specifically target them. I was told specific things that we were supposed to do, that when people were grieving, this was an ideal time to get into their faces and tell them about heaven and hell. I was also told that uh, one of the most ideal times to catch people, again, a phrase that was used, I have it in my notes from my undergraduate studies, the idea, one of the great times to catch people is right after they have a child because they're thinking about reta- eternity and mortality. And that's an ideal time. How sad that there are those out there who have a faith that has to, in a God who has to wait for opportunities. You say, you're picking on people. I absolutely am. I absolutely am. I do not believe God waits until we are at His weakest point. Because let me tell you something. A message, a gospel, that cannot minister to somebody on the mountains is going to be worthless in the valley. Oh, they'll only listen when they've exhausted all other options. Really? Zacchaeus? Wealthy? Robber baron is what he was. And yet there was something in his heart and his soul that he just had to see Jesus. The Apostle Paul? Jesus picked picked the absolute worst time to appear to the Apostle Paul because he was riding on the wave of power and authority that any Pharisee would have loved to have. He had a license to hunt heretics. He did. He was on his way to hunt down a bunch of heretics. Yeah, baby, I'm going to make my career. I'll be on the Sanhedrin Lifetime Membership. Jesus goes this is going to be a good time to share the gospel with him. Which by the way when 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 Jesus talks to Paul, Paul doesn't he does he says to Paul, he says, "Why are you doing this to me?" He doesn't pass judgment on him, he just says, "Why are you doing this to me? Don't you know I love you? Don't you know I've been calling to you?" A faith that appeals to only the weak. that seeks to seeks to uh, take advantage in order to get people to make a conversion. That's sad. It's sad. I would much rather have a faith that didn't need me weak in order to speak into my life. I would rather have a faith that can reach anyone, at any time, at any place, because it is guided and empowered by the Spirit of an everlasting, infinite, graceful God. It's not my job to say who can hear and who can't hear, because God goes to all bounds that people might hear. Unleashing the bonds of creation the demonic forces that are bound up. And the one thing He says, nobody bent. Nobody would bend. Nobody would hear. He wants us all to come to Him. This is a God of Hesed, of loving kindness. It caricaturizes who He is. yet, somehow along the line, we've forgotten that about Him. We made Him about manipulation and plans and guilt and fear and opportunities and felt needs and all that stuff. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. You guys, by the way, will notice that I'm very, very careful about what I do and say when somebody is weak um, and impressionable. Um, I'm very cautious about selling people on Christianity. I won't do those things because I believe the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit will do. And I believe in the gospel, and I believe in the power of the Spirit of God, but I do not believe in manipulation, fear, and, uh, and guilt as a means of bringing someone to Christ. Now, if God chooses to drop a mountain on their head, that's His business. Not mine. So, what can we draw out of this? What can we draw out of this? God's judgment shows us that we need Him. Those of us who recognize that need, we should bend. we should not worry about those who don't. We, we should not walk around and... Uh, I, I'm slightly over, but i got to tell you one more thing that I was told in undergrad. I was told that if I did not share the gospel with somebody who was suffering or dying, that when I got to heaven, their blood would be on my hands. And every single minister that I knew had some kind of weak sob story about how they went to a hospital one day and they went to visit a friend and and they didn't, God was moving them to share the gospel and they didn't, they got in the elevator and that person died the next day. Well, look, if the Holy Spirit's moving you to share, just go ahead and share, but don't try to guilt trip me into sharing. If I go to the hospital and somebody just wants to hold my hand, I'm going to hold their hand. And those of you that know me know that me in the hospital holding somebody's hand is a big deal. If somebody just wants me to walk with them, I'm going to walk with them. I'm never going to shove my faith down the throat of somebody. And you know what? I don't feel guilty if I don't leave people choking on Jesus. I feel guilty if I did not honor Christ in my life and relationships and if I did not speak the truth. But I don't walk around with blood on my hands. When I go to heaven, Jesus is not going to stand there and go, well, there was that time. It's not for us to decide. Those who won't turn, won't turn. Those who will, won't bend, won't bend. But our calling is to honor Christ. Our calling is to be true to who he called us to be. To walk where he called us to walk. To be and to live and to do as he calls us to be and to do and to live. Not to live in fear and guilt. But to be transformed and to believe that our God can transform others. Now don't take this wrong. Don't Blow opportunities if somebody walks up to you and says what does it mean to be a Christian? Don't go well uh, The Holy Spirit has told which by the way, you know what the answer to that question is What does it mean to be a Christian? If you don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> we need to talk about whether you are one Because if it doesn't transform who we are as a being, we should be able to say, you know what being a, being a Christian? I'm not going to tell you because then I guess it will get crib notes, but um, you should be able to answer that question. And it doesn't need training to answer that question. What has Christ done in your life? That's what it means to be a Christian. I've slightly sidetracked, so I'm going to come back to the main idea. It's not our place to say this person will or this person won't. It's simply our calling to live and to be and to walk as Christ has called us to live and to be and to walk. And we shouldn't walk around waiting for opportunities thinking we can manipulate people into the gospel because you can't. It has to be the Holy Spirit at work. And if you're here this morning and you're going, um, I have been manipulated and twisted and contorted into this whole Christian thing, and I don't want it, man, I am with you. Faith in Christ is not any of those things. It is the voice of God calling us. It is the Spirit of God changing us. And it is the Son of God saving us. If you're here listening to that, that means that He's at work on you. And I invite you to walk with Him. And if you know somebody that won't bend... Don't stop being who you are. Continue to move. It's not your place to call. This is actually three different sermons, so I hope that they all made sense. Let's pray. Father, you have called us. For our knees to bow and our hearts to break. Knowing that we live in a world that would choose their own idolatry and foolishness over you. Knowing that the things of this world are in enmity with you, in complete opposition. Father, help us to honor you. To live and to love and to act. And not judge who we are and what we are by others, but to judge by you. Father, help us to make sense out of sometimes confusing things and to walk together. We pray this in Jesus' name.